0: Lord, I do ask that you please bless this time and bless those who are here, Lord. I pray you'd help us as we look at your Word. Help it to be a time of instruction and growth, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well, we're there in Exodus chapter number 37. And, um, you know, on Wednesday nights we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and we've been in it for quite some time now. And I have, a, I guess, a little bit of an announcement tonight to make, but tonight will be the last sermon in the book of Exodus. And I hope you've enjoyed, as we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and I hope you've learned. I know I feel like I've learned a lot out of uh, the book of Exodus. But tonight will be the last sermon in the book of Exodus. I hope you start getting excited. We're going to start a new uh, Bible study on Wednesday night. You say, well, What are we going to do on Wednesday nights then? Well, we're going to uh, keep studying the Bible, and we're going to start in the book of Romans, the book of Romans and the New Testament, and teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Romans. Now, you say, Well, Pastor, we're in chapter 37, and of course, there's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, so why uh, are we going to end the chapter 37? Well, we're not going to end in chapter 37. I'm going to go through and cover a few things in, in the rest of the chapters tonight, but the main reason why we're just ending here is because uh, a lot, much of the material in chapters 37, 38, 39, and 40 are things we already covered in great detail. If, you were, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, months now, the, uh, the book of Exodus is divided and we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, at the end of the sermon, but it's divided into two parts. The second part of the book of Exodus is, is called what's known uh, the covenant. Hey kids, hey kids, you need to quiet down, okay? Look this way. Stop talking, okay? Because people are trying to listen. Alright? Is that okay? We're we're good. No problem. So the book of Exodus is divided into two different parts. The second part of it, and like I said, we're going to deal with this in, 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 towards the end of the sermon. The second part of it deals with the covenant that God made with His people. Now, part of that, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we spent quite a few chapters in uh, with Moses on Mount Sinai as he was uh, talking to God and God was showing him. Now, what happens is this. God explained to Moses exactly how He wanted the tabernacle built, exactly how He wanted the furniture in the tabernacle built, and went into great details. Now, if you were with us, you remember, we spent a lot of time in those chapters, and we went through and taught exactly what each one of those pieces of furniture meant, what the tabernacle meant, and all that. Towards the end of the book, what we see is they go through and they build everything that God asked them to build, okay? So we could go through and and study it all out again, but it would be uh, a little redundant because we already looked at it. Does that make sense? So that's the only reason why we're not going to go through in detail and cover those things. It's something we've already covered uh, just a few months ago. So, I just want to give you a few thoughts towards the end of the uh, book of Exodus there, as we end our series in the book of Exodus, and of course, you can study that out on your own as uh, uh, well, okay? So in these chapters, I just want to show you a few things. Number one, I'm just going to give you a couple points, tonight. number one, I want you to see what God expected from the children of Israel, what God expects from us. As you read these last few chapters, there's a phrase that pops out, uh, a lot. And we just got done reading their Exodus chapter 37. And if you remember from... I mean, they're doing exactly... God said, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to have these many things and that many things. And they're going through and they're building those things at this point. If you look at Exodus chapter 38, if you look, look at verse number 22. Exodus chapter number 38. Look at verse number 22. Exodus 38, verse 22. The Bible says... And Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, I want you to know as the last part in verse number 22, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. Do you see that? The Bible says He made all that the Lord commanded Moses. So God commanded Moses. He said I want you to build it. I want you to do it a certain way. And the Bible says that He made all that the Lord commanded Moses. Now if you look at uh, chapter 39 look at chapter 39 real quickly. Look at verse number 1. And I just want you to see this. Okay? I'm not going to read the entire verse. Just look at the last part of verse number 1. It says as the Lord commanded Moses. Do you see that? As the Lord commanded Moses. Skip down to verse number Five. Look at the last part of verse number five. It says, as the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse number five. Seven. The last part of verse number seven, As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse number twenty-one, the last part of verse number twenty-one. And keep in mind, these verses are just explaining to us that they're building all the things that God asked them to build. And if you look at verse number twenty-one, the last part of verse twenty-one, it says, As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse twenty-six, last part of verse twenty-six, As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse twenty-nine, As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse thirty-one, As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse number uh, uh, 32. The children of Israel, the last part of verse 22. The children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. Skip down to verse number 42. Look at verse 42. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. Look at verse... Number 43. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. Look at verse number 16 of chapter 40. Verse 16 of chapter 40. I just want to, I just want you to see how repetitive God is in regards to this. Verse 16 of chapter 40, the Bible says, it says, thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. Look at verse 19. Last part of verse 19. As the Lord commanded Look at verse number 21, last part of verse 21. As the Lord commanded Moses, look at verse 23. As the Lord commanded Moses, look at verse 25. As the Lord commanded Moses, look at verse 27. As the Lord commanded Moses, look at the last part of verse 29. As the Lord commanded Moses. Now you say, why is it that God, over a period of three chapters, 18 times said, as the Lord commanded Moses, or something close to that type of phrase. Why did He do that? Here's why. You've got to understand that what God expects from us is full obedience. God said, I'm going to command you how to build the tabernacle, how to build the furniture, how to do it. And then when the people got up and they did those things, God was very pleased at 18 different times. He said, he said they, they built the, 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 the furniture and, they, and He said they did it exactly like I told them to do it, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he just emphasizes that over and over and over, eighteen times in three chapters, as the Lord commanded Moses. As the Lord commanded mode. See, God emphasizes obedience. He said, "Well, does it really matter how how they how they put? I mean, things as 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 uh, as detailed as in what order to hang the curtains." God said, I want you to set them up in a certain way, and I want you to place things in certain areas, and I want you to do it in a certain way. And God was pleased that they did it exactly. Now, you say, Pastor, why are you making a big deal about this? Because today, people teach, and churches teach, and religions teach, in the ecumenical movement of today, in the liberal Christian movement of today, in the charismatic movement of today, and the shallow Christianity movement of today, they'll say things like this. Well, it doesn't really matter if you obey God, or if you do everything that the Bible says, or if you do every little thing, every little commandment, that doesn't matter, as long as your heart's in it. And they'll say, they'll say, it say something like this. This is a favorite verse of a liberal. God, man seeth on the outward, and God looketh on the heart. Now we understand That obviously God looks on the heart. But guess what? Man looks on the outward appearance. And God wants obedience. You say, say, well, as long as your heart's in it. Let me tell you something. Without obedience, your heart's not in it. The Lord Jesus Christ said, and you don't have to turn there, but in John fourteen fifteen, he says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So when somebody said, well, I love Jesus, but I won't keep his commandments. I'm not going to obey him. I'm just going to, my heart will be in it. You're a liar because your heart's not in it. Because if you love them, you do what, do what He said. And here's what I understand: God is interested in obedience. Let me give you an example. Go just real quickly. Go to First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles. Let's do this fast because I want to get back to Exodus. First Chronicles. If you're there in Exodus, so you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, alright? 1st Chronicles chapter number 13, right after the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles chapter number 13. Let me just show you this story real quickly, uh, I'm going to show you a couple stories just because it illustrates it so well. 1st Chronicles chapter number 13, in 1st Chronicles you have King David. And if you remember when uh, when when First Samuel started, remember with uh, that the the Philistines came and the children of Israel lost the battle. And if you remember what happened, they took the Ark of the Covenant. From the house of God. Do you remember that? The Philistines took the house of... Uh, they had the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know if you remember. I preached on that... Uh, uh, I don't know. It must have been a few months ago now on a Sunday morning. But do you remember what happened? When they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the house of the, Phil- uh, of the worship of the Philistines. And they set the Ark of the Covenant in front of their God Dagon. Do you remember that? Remember that, that he fell over, and then, and then they picked him back up, and then his head was cut off, and his hands were cut off. And remember that they got, I don't even want to say it, but remember that God gave them, he plagued them with hemorrhoids and all those things. And you say, Pastor, you should be be say it? It's in the Bible. That's what God said. Do you remember that story? Yeah. yeah. Well, remember they wanted to get rid of the ark. And they're like, we cannot. And, you know, and, and they said, what are we going to do? And they, and they decided they were going to put the ark on a, new, on a new cart, and they were going to put, and they were going to send it off. And this is what they said. They said if the if the ark just kind of goes on its way and goes into the wilderness, then it was just a coincidence. But if the ark goes back to Israel, then we know it was of God. And guess what? When they put the ark when they put the ark on the on that cart, it went straight back to Israel. Now here's the thing. It didn't. Once it came to Israel, they stopped it, and they put it in somebody's house. David comes along, and David says, "You know, the ark of the Lord really ought to go back to the tabernacle." And in 1 Chronicles 13, we have that story. Now, if you look at verse number 7, I want you to understand this, okay? And, and just follow along with me, because I want you to see this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and verse 7, the Bible says, And they carried the ark of God, I want you to see this, in a new cart. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. In a new cart, out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah, and a whole uh, 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 hew, uh, drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with, with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with trembles and with cymbals and with trumpets. These people were having what you would call today a worship service. I mean, they were excited. There was all sorts of singing and happiness and drama. And I mean, they were in it. There was a lot of emotion in it. Look at verse 9. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Azza put forth his hand to hold the ark from the, for the oxen stumble. Now, just follow this, okay? And, I, and I'm going to show sure you here something in a second. They're excited because they're doing a religious thing. They're bringing the ark into the house of God. And as they're doing it, they're just having themselves a party. I mean, they're singing and dancing and worshiping. And, and oh, we're doing this great. But here's the question. Was God in it? Say, was he? Well, look at verse ten. Well, look at verse nine. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Kidon, Azza put forth his hand to hold the ark. Look what it says: for the oxen stumbled. So as they're going down the road, the oxen stumbled, and the ark—it looked like it was going to fall over. And Azza, who loved God, who loved the ark, he put forth his hands aside because he didn't want to see the ark of God fall. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, let me ask you this: Did he have good intentions? Look at verse ten. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Azza. wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, I remember when I was a kid, and I would read through my Bible, and I read that story, it always confused me, I always say, what did Uzzah do that was so bad that God would kill him? The Bible says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. Well, the answer is found. Keep your finger there in, in, in First Chronicles. We're going to come back to it. But go to Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. Matthew. Nah, I'm just kidding. It's not Matthew. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Alright? Some of you started going towards the New Testament. Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4, look at verse number uh, 15, Numbers chapter 4, look at verse 15, Numbers four fifteen. look at what the Bible says, Numbers chapter 4, verse number 15, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, alright, Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, and when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary, and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to is to set forward after that look what it says the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it but they shall not touch any holy thing look what it says lest they die do you see that? No. these things are the burdens of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation go back to first Chronicles you say I don't understand what's going on well if you study the Old Testament God was very clear that the only people who were allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant who were allowed to touch the furniture that we're talking about that they're building in Exodus, the tabernacle. The only people who were allowed to touch it were the Levites. No one else was allowed to touch it. And when they were to transport it, they were supposed to have these special staves that they put on it, and they were supposed to carry it. For Levites were supposed to carry the ark on their shoulders as they traveled. Now, here's the thing. Go back to 1 Chronicles 13. Look at verse 7. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart. Now, here's what you got to say. They did not get that idea from the Bible. God's word never told them to put the ark on a cart. God's word told them to put the ark on the shoulders of Levites, and only Levites were supposed to touch it. So, here's the question that I have. Where did they get that idea? It didn't come from God. You know where it came from? The Philistines. Because guess how the Philistines transported the ark? On a cart. See, and today, you say, how does the Bible say? Today, we have a Christianity that says we want to worship God and we want to love God and we want to have a relationship with God but we're going to take the world's cart to do it do you understand what I'm saying? they'll say we'll take the world's philosophy we'll take the world's music we'll take the world's doctrine we'll take the world's style and we'll put the ark of God on it and we'll celebrate and we'll have fun and we'll dance and we'll have us a worship service and we'll feel real religious but is God in it? Uh, because as soon as Uzzah touched the ark God said Enough. I told you not to touch my heart. That's what God said. And he killed him, immediately. Now here's the interesting thing. Thank you, Many chapters later, many verses later, many days later, not many chapters later. Go to, go to uh 1 Chronicles 15. Let me show you something. 1 Chronicles 15. Look at verse. Look at verse 1. 1 Chronicles 15. Verse 1. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 1, the Bible says, and David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. And David said, look what David said. He got smart. You know what David started doing? He started reading the Bible. You know what David started doing? He said, said, hmm, something's not right here. Men shouldn't die when we're worshiping God. And he started to read the Bible or maybe started to ask some questions. Maybe he went to a prophet or a Levite or a priest. And he said, what, what was God so upset about? And here's what happened. A fundamental Baptist preacher came around and said, well, listen, David. God's not only interested in your heart. God's interested in obedience. God's not only, but my heart was in it. I know your heart was in it. But he wants you to do it a certain way. Thank you, Lord. Look, at verse, look, look at 1 Chronicles 15. Verse one. And David made him house in the city of David, and prepared a place for the ark of God, and pitched for it a tent. And David said, "Look what David said. None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites." You know what happened? He started reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. See, today we have a shallow Christianity. People say, "Well, I just feel so close to God because every Sunday I go and we worship and we sing and we dance." But you don't know what the Bible says. But you don't know what God expects from you. See, God doesn't just want your heart. God wants your obedience. God doesn't just want your heart. God want, God doesn't just want your worship. He wants your worship. Just, wait, look what is it? Look at verse two. Then David said, "None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites." He got smart. Yeah. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto Him forever. Look at verse number. Skip down to verse number uh, thirteen. I'm sorry, uh, number twelve. Skip down to uh, First Chronicles number. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, you're you're in you're in fifteen? Go go to verse twelve. Fifteen verse twelve. Look what it says. And said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites, so now David's talking to the Levites. Sanctify yourself, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord. So notice he said, Look, go sanctify yourself and get ready, because you're supposed to bring the ark of the Lord. Of Israel unto the place that I prepared for it. Look like what he says, look like at verse 13. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. So th- does he understand what he did wrong? He says, look, you're supposed to carry it and because you didn't carry it and we put it on a cart and then a guy who wasn't a Levite touched it. God breached upon us. God punished us. God killed a man because you were supposed to do it. But I don't, I want you to miss, don't miss the last part of verse 13. Read verse 13 again. Look was what it says. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought Him. No, Notice, did they seek? Were they seeking God? Yes, they were. But notice what he said. That we sought Him, not after the due order. Let me tell you something. It is not enough to seek God. It is not enough to have a heart for God. It is not enough to have a worship service, and a singing service, and a dancing service, and a service where like, well, I feel so close to God. God says, I want you to seek me, but in the due order. You know what that means? God wants obedience. And then David says, well, I was dancing, and I was singing, and we were praising. God says, I don't care about that. He shows it. He says, I want your obedience. I want you to do what I told you. Because here's what Jesus said many years later. If you love me, keep my command. Hello. Let me show you another example. Go to go to uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Real quickly. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Don't miss the word of God. 1 Samuel. You can get excited, but don't, don't get excited at the expense of the word of God. Just learn this. 1 Samuel. Look at verse uh, chapter 15. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. Look what it says. Now here, let, me, let me just... And you can study this on, on your own, but let me just give you the context. Saul is getting ready to go into battle. King Saul now, that's we're talking about. He's supposed, before they go into battle, he's waiting for Samuel, who's the prophet, but also the priest, okay? Samuel was a Levite. And he's waiting for Samuel to come and do the sacrifice and the prayer before they go into battle. And Saul starts getting anxious. Now Saul's a Benjamite, not a Levite. And Saul says, Well, well, Samuel's taking his time. Let me tell you something. I, I learned a long time ago, and I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor. I, learned, I you could call Pastor Mark Lewis a fellowship Baptist church. I learned a long time ago "Well if the man of God is late, you wait. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Samuel was running late. <laughs> and Saul, and Saul just sat there and said, Well, well and Saul said this is what Saul said. Well, I'll do the, sac- I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll do the sacrifice. Now hold on a second, Saul. You're not a Levite. Only a Levite supposed to do the sacrifice. And Saul said, well, I'll do the sacrifice. And you think, God told Saul that when you go into battle, He said, I want you to kill everyone. I want you to kill everything. I don't want anything to survive. He said, man, woman, child, and every animal needs to die. So said, why would God do that? Well, there's many reasons why God did that. I believe one of the reasons. These, these societies were so filled with, with sexual diseases and all sorts of diseases. God just wanted them... Cleansed. And God said, kill everything. And by the way, God often, like he did in the book of Joshua, remember, he told them, When when you take Jericho, you can't have anything because God often wants the first fruits of everything. He says, The next battle, I'll let you get rich off of that. But the first battle, that one's mine. And and what maybe that was part of it, who knows? But Saul was supposed to kill everything. And look what happened. You're there in, in are you there in First Samuel fifteen? Look at verse twenty two. First Samuel Actually look at verse thirteen. Just look at verse thirteen. And Samuel came to Saul. So Samuel finally shows up. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord God, uh, of the Lord God. Look what he says. Look what Saul said. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. He said, look, I'm doing what God told me to do. And i got to ask this question. Really, Saul? Sometimes I talk to people and they say, Well, well I'm, I'm right with God. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I think to myself, really? Somebody was telling me recently, I'm a man of God. I'm a preacher of God's work divorce, living in fornication, living with a woman who's not married to. Wow. I just think to myself, really? <laughs> wow. Well, my heart's in it, yeah, but are you doing what God told you to do? Look at verse 14. And Samuel said, this is what, I, I like Samuel. You, you guys think I'm mean. You should, have, you should have seen some of these Old Testament prophets. And Samuel said, he, he ignores what Saul said. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear? See, Samuel knew what God told Saul. God, what God tells Saul kill all the animals Samuel said Saul said to Samuel I have to perform the commandment of the Lord and Samuel says then why do I hear sheep and oxen That's right. if you perform the oxen of, of the, the commandment of the Lord and Saul said, look what he said and Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people look what he says. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Why did they spare the best of the sheep and the oxen? To sacrifice unto the Lord. Look what he says. You just got to get into the story of this. He says, To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, Samuel. He says, we spared the best to sacrifice it to your God, Samuel. You're the man of God, right? And the rest we have utterly destroyed. See, Saul says this, I know God told me to destroy all of it, but we saved the best to sacrifice it to God. Was that a good thing? Or is that, let me ask you this, is it a good intention? Look at verse 16. Then Samuel said, Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. You know what that means? He said, when thou was little in He said, when you weren't so filled with pride. Let me tell you something. The longer I pastor, the more I realize that one of the biggest issues Christians have today is this word pride. They can't humble themselves. Well, I'm not. You know, I, I, sometimes, I, I, sometimes I like I, I want to help people, but I think I can't help you because there's pride. You understand that? You gotta be able to humble yourself and admit when you're wrong, admit when you messed up, admit when you didn't know what you were doing. Come on. And Samuel says, When thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed the king over Israel? And the Lord set thee, uh, set thee on a journey, and said, Go. Look what he says. He, this is, Samuel's reminding him. See, people say to me, You guys are these, these fundamentalists, you know, these hellfire and brimstone, always telling us what the Bible, always telling us what the Word of God says. You know what Samuel's doing? He said, Let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Word of God says. Look at verse 18, he says, And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Ooh, he said, God told you to consume them. God told you to destroy them. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, he says, Then why? Then didst thou not, Notice, obey the voice of the Lord, but this fly upon the spoil, and this evil in the sight of the Lord, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone uh, the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of uh, 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 Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites look at this guy Samuel just said God told you to destroy him, why didn't you do it, you just and he still saying, I did obey I did obey Get in ministry You've made a lot of people like that. So, so why, so why do you have this this issue going on? Well, it's not my fault. It's nothing I did. Okay. Look what it says. Look at verse twenty-one. First, now he begins to blame other people, Saul. But the people took of the spoil. It wasn't me. It was the people took of the spoil. Sheep and oxen and the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and go. Let me tell you something. When you're the leader, the buck stops at you. That's Amen. But well, the, the people did it, No, Saul, you're in charge. Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, "Look what that." Please understand this, because this was Saul saying. Saul saying, "We yes, we disobeyed God, but we were going to do it for God." Yes, we took it! And we were supposed to, but we are going to sacrifice God. And here's the key verse, I want you to understand. Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, Is God as impressed with your sacrifices as He is with obeying the voice of the Lord? You know what he's saying? He's saying, God would rather you obey and not sacrifice than to sacrifice Sacrifice and to hearken in the fat of rams. Verse right. yeah. twenty-three: For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Come on, say, so Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this: God expects full obedience. Sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I mean, you know, and it's a, I use this illustration because it's an easy illustration to make. People make statements like this. Well, I, I'm not going to withhold my tithe, and I'm not going to tithe to God. But, but Pastor, you know, yeah, when, when I win the lottery, I'm going to give a lot of money to God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Let me tell you something. The lottery is a tax on people that can't do math. <laughs> You're more likely to become the president of the United States than you are to win the lottery. But people say, you know, people people have this idea. They think I don't I don't tithe, but but once a year I give a big offering. Let me tell you something. God is more impressed with small obedience than big sacrifices. Amen. God is more impressed with with you doing what He commanded you to do. They say, well, I'm going to do something big, and I'm gonna, God's not in that. Well, I'm going to bring the card of the Lord into the house. God's not in that. God would rather that the card From us is full and utter obedience. Amen. And for you to understand that, you've got to understand what the Bible says. Amen. And people today want to have this idea. Well, I love God and I and I'm with God and, and it's in my heart, but you know, I just don't do everything the Bible says. Just quit lying to yourself. God's not impressed with that. God, you say, what does God expect? Go back to Exodus 39. What, what does God expect? God expects obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm going to give him a sacrifice. Not at the expense of obedience. Number two, what does God expect? He expects obedience. But number two, let me tell you something. God expects quality. Are you there in Exodus 39? Look at verse 43. Exodus 39. So they go through and they build all these things, right? And over and over and over, the Bible says, as the Lord commanded most, as the Lord commanded most, as the Lord commanded most. They did exactly what the Lord had commanded them to do. But in verse 43, at the end of chapter 40, before they presented to God in chapter 40, at the end of uh, verse 39, I mean, in verse forty-three, the Bible says this: "And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them." Let me tell you something. Somebody, I heard somebody say this, and I thought it was a good. Paul, let me—you you gotta write this down or just memorize something. When you're a leader, you ought to inspect what you expect. Amen. You say, I expect something, then inspect it. So often we tell, you know, when you're a leader and you say, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about uh, as a pastor, I'm talking about as a business leader, I'm talking about as a mom, as a dad, as yeah, yeah, a leader. Yes. You know, so often parents will get upset with their children. I can't, I can't, I can't believe that you got an F. Well, do you, do you expect them to get a better grade than that? Yeah, I expect them to get an A. well, oh, did you inspect what they, you expected? I was talking to somebody, they're saying, "I was so upset, I was so mad." Man, they, 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 they held back my child. This was a uh, kid in high school. This was a long time ago. Somebody's telling me this. They held him. He had to spend an extra year in high school. I said, "Well, why did that happen?" Because he didn't do any of his homework. He barely showed up to school. I'm thinking to myself. So for a whole year, he didn't do any of his homework, and you didn't find out about that wow. until Come on. until until you showed up to the graduation and his name wasn't called. I mean, seriously. Well, I expected him to go to school. Did you inspect it? Well, I expected him to get good grades. Did you, you know, let me tell you something. It's your job, you know. What did was say? Well, the people, they took it. No, you're the leader. That's right. No, you're the boss. Dad. And Mom. overseer. Mom. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. You ought to inspect what you expect. Because a lot of times when you expect something and you let it go, people don't do what they're supposed Man. to do. Uh-huh. You understand that? Yeah. And by the way, let me just, you know, let me go ahead and just say this now. Hmm. The, the mood's right. <laughs> 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 yeah. You say, Pastor, what are you doing? I'm winning over the crowd. This is what, this is what they teach you to do in preaching class. You. you know, at our church, we don't have any rules at all. You can come here and do whatever you want, dress how you want, whatever. But I have, you know, let me just give you an example of it. You know, some, for those of you that are in choir, one of the things we told you when you joined choir is that you're expected to be at all three services. I'm just giving you a warning, because here's the thing. And I understand people get sick, and I understand that you miss every once in a while. I get that. that that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about, you, if you think you're going to show up to choir practice on Sunday night, and you're missing Sunday morning, you're missing Wednesday night, and it's a consistent thing, let me tell you, don't get mad at Pastor. He mad at us when he comes to you and says, Hey, listen, we we're, were just wondering if maybe you could step down from the choir. I can't believe you would do that, Pastor. Well, we already told you what the expectation was. Remember. You understand that? Yeah. See, today we live in a society where nobody's expected to accomplish anything. You go to school, you and and you don't you barely show up, you don't do any homework, and they're just gonna pat No Child Left Behind. I, I like to call it no child left a dime is what it should be got all the You know, everybody's just expected to go on. I remember when I was a kid growing up and I played in baseball, you didn't get a trophy if you didn't win. <laughs> Today, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody goes on to the next rate. Everybody does that, Everybody does it. Let me tell you something. Wake up. Get to the real world and realize sometimes you have responsibilities and the boss is not going to pay the paycheck if he doesn't get what he expected from you. I'm just trying to teach you. You say, Pastor, are you upset? I'm not upset. I'm just, I, I found when you throw a fit about things in the pulpit then you don't have to address it personally. I'm just trying to tell you something. You say, well, Pastor, I can't believe Why do you expect people? Because when you're just a church member, hey, you're just a church member and we're excited for you and we love you. But you step on this platform, all of a sudden you become a leader. All of a sudden, people start saying, well, so-and-so the choir, They've got, they must be right up there. And the way you dress, and the way you act, and how faithful you are, and the things you do, hey, all of those become a, ca- a characteristic of what everybody else can do. Because they're going to say, well, you're a leader. So we will hold you to a higher standard. Do you understand that? You say, I don't like to be held to a higher than the standard. Then don't put yourself in that situation. We'll love you down you well, You don't have to be that. We'll still love you. <laughs> we got a lot of people that come to church only on Sunday mornings. We love them just as much as we love anyone else. I love but we're going to inspect what we expect. You understand that? Yes. And as a leader, you ought to inspect. You say, I expect my children to, then inspect that. Exactly. Don't tell your kids when they, I, I told them in the first year kindergarten, I expect them to get a uh, straight A's. And I never, you know, I just let it go from there. That's not okay. You understand that? Yeah. I'm thankful that I had a mom and dad that taught me that there was consequences, that taught me that I had to be faithful to church, that I had to be faithful to school, that I had to be faithful. To... And guess what? You think I have a problem with going to work today? Let me tell you something. You teach your kids to be responsible when they're young. I, I used to hate it. I, I used to love that we were talking about holidays. I'm getting off track. When we're talking about holidays, school holidays. I used to love the school holidays that were like like Columbus Day. Because we got off of school. But my dad didn't get off of work. You know what I'm talking about? Is there a name for those holidays? I hated the holidays that I knew my dad had. For, like Thanksgiving or Christmas. That I knew he was also off of work. You know why? Because I knew that at 6 in the morning, I was getting up. And I was getting dressed. And we were going to work. And we're gonna—he'd we, find jobs for us. You say, why do he do that? Because children that are allowed to sleep in all the time, are allowed to stay in their pajamas all day, they are allowed to be lazy all day, grow up into adults who sleep all day, and adults who are lazy all day, and adults that can't keep a job all day. I'm just trying to help you. Well, I, ex- I expect my children to be productive. Then inspect that. I expect our church to be productive, and we will inspect that. That's right. Hear's that? The buck stops that leadership. Well, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, Saul. It's your fault, Saul. That's what he's saying. You better just straighten up and take it. When you mess up, just take it. God will forgive you. God loves you. We love you. And Moses did look, look at verse three. Moses did look upon the work and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so, had they done it. God expects obedience, but God expects quality. Amen. Go to, go to Ecclesiastes just real quickly. Ecclesiastes. We're almost done. We're actually almost done. Ecclesiastes, real quickly. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, just go right after,. Yep. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Did I tell you what chapter to go to? chapter nine. Look at verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9:10. Look what the Bible says, whatsoever, look at that whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. you know what that means? Anything you're doing, look what it says. Do it with thy might. For there is no work nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. And let me me just tell you something. Sometimes I I feel like, I don't want to say things to people. Because you know how church works? This is a volunteer army. Do you understand that? Nobody gets paid around here to do anything. By the way, including this guy. (laughs) We're all here because we love God and because we just want to do something for God. But let me tell you something, just because we are volunteers, doesn't mean we ought to give God less. You understand that? We're doing it for the Lord. Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Look, if you're going to sing in the choir, then do a good job with it. Then practice it and do it. You understand what I'm saying? If you're going to serve, if you're going to be a soul winner, then why don't you try to learn the verses and try to get better and try to do good with it? Whenever you say, well, I'm a volunteer. You don't. You can't tell me what to do. Of course, I can't tell you what to do. But let me tell you something. We ought to give God our best. Could you imagine if I had that attitude? Well, you guys don't pay me, so I'm just gonna. You know, if I pastor this church that way, well, I'm gonna preach, but I'm not gonna put my heart. Oh my God! Imagine that. What? Well, I'm only gonna. You know, I'm not gonna. Don't call me. Don't try to talk to me. Don't. That's too much. I'm a volunteer. Look, whatever we do, we ought to do it for God. We ought to do it. You know, sometimes people have this idea. Well, we have a small church, so we don't have to be as professional. Let me tell you something. Whether we're a small church or a large church or whatever church, we ought to do it for God. We ought to be professional. We ought to do it right. I know we're on Northgate. I know where we're at. Trust me, I know where we're at. Just put the tie on and just love God. Why? Because we're doing it for God. Because we're doing it for the Lord. Whatever thy hand plan to do. Hey, don't do it half-hazardly. Don't do it in, you know, half-hand, half Why? Because you're not doing it for me, you're not doing it for anybody else, you're doing it for God. God expects quality. And here's what I want you to understand. Before, go back to Exodus, uh, whatever you're at, Exodus 39. Before they presented the tabernacle to God, the leader said, Hey, let me look at that make sure it's good quality. And don't let that offend you. That's the job of the leader. The job of the leader is to make sure you're doing a good job. That's one of the jobs of the leader. So we said, what can, what God expects from us, God expects obedience, but God also expects quality. He doesn't expect you to just do what He said, He expects you to do it and to do it right. Amen. Number two, this is the last point, what we can expect from God. What we can expect from God. You are you there in Exodus chapter 40? Look at verse number uh, 34. Exodus chapter number 40. I got 10 minutes, alright? It is 8.05. You got 10 minutes and we'll be done. Exodus uh, uh, 39, look at verse number 43. I'm sorry, no. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Exodus chapter 40, look, 34. They bring... Good night. Exodus chapter 40... Let, let's, let's begin reading on verse number 32. Go to verse number 32, alright? And when they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses, and he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hangings on the court gate so Moses finished his work so he starts setting this up to present it to God and he's finishing his work Verse three, four. then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and when the cloud was the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Here's what I want you to understand. What, what can we expect from God? Well, if, if you do what God expects, which is this, Thank obey God. and give Him good quality. Thank you, Jesus then what you can expect from God is His blessing and His approval and His power and His glory. Now the reason that this is so uh, vital at the end of the book of Exodus is this. Do you remember a few weeks ago when they had made the altar, the the calf, the golden calf, and they were worshipping it? Remember the aftermath of that? What was it? Remember that God said to them, I'll take you into the promised land and I'll give you, but I'm not going with you. He says, I'm tired of you people. He said, "I I don't want to be... In, the, in your presence remember that's what God said and Moses was like God if you don't go with me I don't want to go and because of Moses God kind of stopped a few plagues and all that but here's what you understand after that when they obeyed when they, they were serving God from the heart remember when we're looking at when they were giving the offering and they were working what were they doing it from their heart and they were obeying and they had a good attitude about it What it came from it God's glory came down God's presence came down See, I heard a pastor say this before. The path to God's blessing comes through the door of obedience. Now, and I got to just give you this quick caveat, because I, I, I want you to get... In fact, can I just show you some... Man, we're, go, to, go to Daniel. Just Daniel, real quick. Daniel. Towards the end of your, of your uh, Old Testament there. Daniel, chapter 3. Just let, let's do this real quickly. Daniel, chapter 3. And let me just give you this caveat, because sometimes people, they get this idea, uh, they'll hear a preacher like me say, Obey God and He'll bless you, and they, and they think like, that means everything's going to go good in your life. Let me tell you something, that's called the retribution theology. That's called the prosperity gospel. Yes, yes. This idea that, well I got saved, so I should be, my finances should be good, my marriage should be good, my children should be good, everything should be just right. No, because I got saved, right? Let me tell you something. You can have God. You know that you can have God's blessing and have a failing marriage. You understand that? You know you, obviously it's a good time to have a failing marriage. Of course, it's not good to have a failing marriage, but you can still have God's blessing. You know that you can have children living in the world and still have God's blessing. You know how you can be broke and still have God's blessing. Now, obviously, we want our kids to live for God and we want our marriages to succeed and we don't want to be broke. We understand that. But let me tell you something. Just because things are going bad in your life doesn't mean that you don't have God's blessing and just because things are going good doesn't mean you have God's blessing you understand that wow. see we, we've got to develop this attitude you, in the book of Daniel and I'm just give me, let me just give you this real quick okay in the book of Daniel do you remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they were brought over to the nation of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image and he said everyone's going to worship this image when the music starts playing everybody's going to worship the image and of course what did Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego do They said, we're not going to worship demons, because that would go against God. Now, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to understand. If you look at Daniel chapter 3, look at verse number 16, just real quickly. When they brought the three children, and by the way, these were children, teenagers probably, standing before the most powerful man on earth at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar. They brought them before this man and he he has a conversation. Why won't you worship me? Why won't you do this? Blah, blah, blah. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance. We're going to play the music one last time and you better kneel down and worship my image. And if you look at verse 16, the Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. Notice. Mm -hmm. O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what they're saying? Here's what they're saying. We're not trying to just... Watch our words here. We're not trying to just carefully try to get out of this. He said because, because he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. What do you think about that? And they said, We don't even have to think about it. We already know what we're going to do. He said, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Look at verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Now here's the thing. At this point, I can start screaming and yelling about that, and and, and Christians are. But you know what I like about this verse? Look what he says. Look at verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Because they're going to throw him in a fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of the hand, O king. But here's the difference between you and me and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because you and I, we'll serve God as long as God's delivering us. We'll serve God as long as God's coming through. But notice what they said. Look at verse 18. But if not. You know what they just said? They said, "If you throw us in that fire furnace and God doesn't deliver us, if you throw us in that fire furnace and God doesn't show up, if you throw us in that fire furnace and God doesn't protect us, He said, but if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up.' You know what He's saying? He's saying, if God protects us, we're not going to serve, and if God doesn't protect us, we still won't serve. So that's the kind of Christianity we need today. Again, amen. We, we get on our knees and we pray, God, please protect." in this situation but if God doesn't protect us we ought to still serve God that's right if God doesn't come through we ought to still serve if God doesn't heal it we ought to still serve God if God doesn't restore that marriage hey still serve God that's see, right see most of us would never make oh, it no. to the fiery furnace because we'd already have the lack of faith before we got there we'd well God can't protect God. me from this and when God doesn't see as they you, you gotta think as they were being taken don't you think they were thinking in their head God Hallelujah. you know this is probably what they're thinking, when Nebuchadnezzar told the, the soldiers grab them I'd be thinking to myself, God's gonna kill that soldier right now. Watch, watch. And then the guy grabbed him. And God didn't kill him. And then they started dragging him, and he's like, God's gonna, gonna make the the you know, there's gonna be an earthquake, and we're gonna something great's gonna happen. And nothing happened. And they opened the fire furnace, and they said, God's gonna make the fiery furnace just cease. It's gonna, it's gonna just go. It's gonna go away. The fire's just gonna go away. And it didn't go away. And they threw them in the fiery furnace. And I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know I would imagine they were thinking we're going to die and God didn't do anything but guess what happened when they got a fire furnace look what the Bible says look what it says look verse number 19 then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury he was mad and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosens, and their hats, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And you and I would think, God, God didn't do anything. Look at verse 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The guys that threw them in the fire furnace died because it was so hot. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Did God deliver them? But what happened? Look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in his haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king! He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Yes. Now here's the thing. You say, why did, why did, why did Jesus Christ literally show up his name? Here's why I think he did. Because they said... If God doesn't deliver us, we'll still serve. That's right. You know why I don't think God a lot of times shows up in our trials and tribulations? Because you and I say, God, if you deliver me, but if you don't deliver me, I'm just going to quit. And God says, I'm not interested in that. That doesn't impress me. But when they said, hey, now we can answer, we don't have to think about it. God will deliver us, and if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to serve. You know what they're saying. This is what they're saying. If we get thrown in that fire first and we burn to death, we still will serve our God. That's it. That's the type of Christianity we need. Thank you, Lord. That's right. The type of Christianity says, "Well, well, God's gonna, God's gonna work it out. And if He doesn't, He's still good." Still serve. Amen. The Book of Exodus teaches us. Here's what I want you to understand. The Book of Exodus is divided into two parts. The first part deals with deliverance. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. It talks to us about salvation. And we like that. But you know what the whole second part of the book of Exodus was? If you didn't catch it, it's all about God's covenant with His people. The first 15 chapters or so was about the plagues and bringing them out of Egypt and all those great stories. But the last part of it was just God telling them, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to build this, and I want you to do do that. And you know how it ends? With them doing it and God's presence and glory coming upon them. Mm -hmm. So the book of Exodus is about the Christian life. God saves you and delivered you, yes. But now He has a covenant, a contract He wants you to go into. And He expects obedience, He expects quality, He expects faith. And what you can expect is God's blessing. Now that doesn't mean that He's going to deliver you out of very fiery furnace. But I'd rather be in the furnace with Jesus than outside the furnace. God wants, we see the results of obedience in the book of Exodus. And we see the results of disobedience. I just want you to understand the book of Exodus as we finish it tonight. You see the results of obedience. You see the results of disobedience. But your obedience will not be fastened on God's blessing. Mm -hmm. God will be fastened on His presence. And like the children of Israel, His presence was there. They were in the fire furnace, but His presence was there. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we love you Lord so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the book of Exodus. And Lord, I ask that you please help us... As we, in the future, read through the book of Exodus, help us to remember these lessons and these things we've been taught. And then, Lord, next week as we get into the book of Romans, I pray You'd bless us to be able to learn the book of Romans. And the book of Romans has so much good doctrine in it. Help us to learn it and study it and apply it to our lives. In Your precious name I pray. Amen.